Amen. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Happy homecoming. We have the privilege of hearing over the next few days from some alumni. And as a tradition in chapel during homecoming week, um, it's really an honor to be able to take a look back and to recognize God's goodness and faithfulness over the last 117 years of, the, of this institution's life. And um, to see how God has been raising up and sending out laborers into the harvest. Um, and this morning, we are excited to hear again who he has uh, spoken in, in, in recent months here. He was here this last spring, but Peter Wohler, who uh, graduated in 1987. So um, none of you were alive. I was only three. And, uh, but he is uh, very much young at heart. And when he graduated from here, he worked with at-risk youth um, in the mid-80s. He had a brief stint as a contract engineer with Honeywell. Um, but in most, most recently, starting in 1995, he has been the director of Source Ministries, which is located in one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the country. Right here in Minneapolis, Source includes Urban Outreach, a fallout urban art center, and a co-op, transitional homes, and a national homeless youth outreach. And in 2010, they began working with anti-sex um, trafficking and is the, the leading voice in place for that um, in our city. And uh, Peter also co-pastors Merge Vineyard Church uh, with his wife, Jessica. They have four children, ages 9 through 17. He was actually featured in May 2018 in the Northwestern Pilot article as the dreaded pastor. And a couple years ago, um, he was uh, diagnosed with terminal cancer and only given months to live. But now, two, over two years later, um, Peter's here with us and is going to share uh, about his walk, his journey with identity in Christ, and how he's experienced, experiences, uh, experienced God's miraculous provision and sustenance. And so I want you to give a very warm Northwestern welcome as we welcome back one of our very own, Peter Wohler. And uh, let's pray for Peter as he shares with us. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you for reminding us of that as we can worship you together as your people. And thank you, God, for bringing your son, your servant, our dear brother, Peter, here. Lord, may he be a pure channel of your grace for your Holy Spirit to, fl to flow through. And may our hearts be good soil to receive your truth. And Father, thank you so much um, for being our source of life and breath and for giving us eternal life and hope in Christ. We love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. It is really an honor um, to be back. Uh, they actually had me come um, April 1st uh, in the spring, and so I wasn't quite sure what that meant, and I didn't look too much into it, but I'm back here uh, during homecoming week. Uh, yeah, I was, was here in the mid-'80s. Uh, my parents were here in the 50s when Billy Graham was the president for that one year, and so I have uh, um, some family history around Northwestern. And uh, just really um, love this uh, uh, college, this, this university. It was a college back when I was there, so I'm going to slip a little bit on things. I was, I was sitting um, and realized I have a slight rip in my, my knees. That was kind of scandalous in the mid-'80s when you had ripped jeans. I think I ended up in the dean's office for that. But um, hopefully that same outcome won't happen. So um, I get to come today and speak a few minutes. Uh, I was asked to talk about identity and this journey I've had. Um, and actually today is 
um, is, is day number 616. I call that the, the of after my expiration date. So I was diagnosed in August, early August of 2017 with stage four lower bowel cancer. Uh, at the time they told me I'd probably have a 20% chance to be here in a year and um, pretty much I, for sure I wouldn't be here in two years. Uh, three months after that, um, beginning of November, uh, they told me that I had 30 to 60 days. And so uh, today, I guess, is uh, 676 after that date, or 616 after that day that they said I wouldn't be here anymore. And so praise God. Um, God, you are faithful, you are good, and it's so good to, to proclaim that. So, so, yeah, we can clap for that. And so part of being here, talking about identity and how that connects with, with uh, um, just facing death is kind of like one of my favorite and one of my least favorite topics to talk about. And so, so we'll, we'll kind of navigate this together. Uh, identity in Christ is, is something that is, is I have, that subject has been by far and wide um, just a, a topic that's been near and dear to me. Um, as uh, uh, I've been able to have the privilege of reaching out to at-risk individuals in the early 90s, was, was able to be overseas in, in uh, different uh, urban areas of Europe and Asia and India, um, got to get exposed to homeless youth and red light districts and teens and prostitution and brothels for the first time. Um, being able to come in contact with individuals then uh, back here, what, what I call my own Jerusalem, um, where I, because I grew up just in the northern suburbs of Minneapolis, uh, that, that thing about identity is so crucial um, to the young people that we reach out to, but the reality is it's crucial to all of us. And uh, I've experienced it for myself. It's been life-changing for me, and to be able to speak that out to others um, that have had um, a, a life of been telling, being told that they have no worth, they have no value, um, been treated by society as, um, as lesser, as a lower class, as being told just by um, what they can uh, uh, perform. Their, their behaviors uh, are sometimes monetarily their worth and value um, in doing, uh, you know, just being raped and, and being taken advantage of in terrible ways and having a parent or family system that isn't nurturing and loving, let alone um, having Christ at the center of it. To be able to Speak in that our God cares for them, loves them, but also wants to provide belonging and has worth and value for them, um, to me, is just one of the greatest privileges that, that God has allowed me to do. Uh, I thought it would be appropriate, one of my favorite analogies of identity, and since we're at Northwestern um, campus and the Eagles this morning, is one of my favorite stories um, has to do with an eagle. And uh, the story goes... Something like this, there's a, a journalist was going across the country and he was kind of stopped in a small town diner and he was told the story of this farmer who has an eagle who thinks it's a chicken. You guys heard this story? No? At least one person hasn't, so I'm, I'm, this is for you, okay? Um, so, and he's like, oh, that's ridiculous. And you know, he, he was kind of bored and so he went out, drove out to this farm and uh, sure enough, um, Right away, he sees this chicken pen full of chickens, 
you know, that are scratching and bobbing their heads and clucking. I, I won't do that for you, but you can imagine that. And right in the middle is this eagle. And, you know, this eagle is huge compared to those chickens. And, he, and at first he was really in disbelief, and he came over it, and he looked and examined, and, and the, the eagle in, in every way was acting like a chicken. And he kind of lost the fact that he was a journalist, and he should be just there to observe and write the story, but, but he just completely lost that, went into the gate, grabbed that eagle, that massive bird, looked him in the eye, and said, you're not a chicken. You're an eagle. And then he took it with all his might, and he threw it up in the air as high as he could. And that eagle just was almost like a sack of potatoes, right? Went up in the air and just kind of tumbling down, and just by instinct, right before it hit the ground, it put out his wings and, and it got some air. And then it went up, and that's my eagle flying noise. Okay, because they have big wings, yeah? Start, starts flying. At first it was kind of clumsy and just kind of went up and down, but pretty soon it's up there, and it's soaring, and it's circling. And the journalist is, is kind of proud of himself, right? He kind of feels like he, he freed something, and, and he's looking. And right about then the farmer comes by and comes up to him and kind of strolls up, and he's like, he goes, oh, that's nothing. And uh, he had a sack of feed on his, on his side, and he takes that feed, and it's, that's my uh, sound for throwing feet on the chicken's floor. You catch that? Throws it down there, and the eagle heard that from way up, and comes down, starts acting like a chicken again. So that, I love that story for identity because I, I completely believe that as we have become followers of Jesus Christ, as we have dedicated our lives and claimed him as Savior and Lord, that he has adopted us as children, and that he has made us eagles. However, I think a lot of times we settle, and we walk around and we act like chickens, and we have moments where we figure it out, and we start to soar, right, and then there's moments when, boom, we're right back, you know. Paul talks about returning to our vomit. That's a little uglier analogy. As we think about identity in Christ, I, I just believe it, it's, it's beyond our understanding how great that is. I, <laughs> the fact that, you know, some of my favorite stories in the Bible is when, when you know, our Savior you know, gets upset at the religious. Why? Because he, he's upset with them when they are trying to support a shame and performance grid. That it's about external motions, right? And he is so frustrated about that. And he goes around to individuals and he confronts that. Like, no one ever confronts that in that culture. And the individuals that were around him that felt the heaviness of that, that couldn't go by the rules. The, the, the system didn't quite work for them. They were always outcasts. They, they moved towards dysfunctional behaviors, you know? And a lot of that was to supply these needs, I believe, of love and acceptance. 
those that were supposed to represent the Father's heart were misrepresenting it with performance and shame. And he confronted that. I love the prodigal son story, right? I love the prodigal son story where this story of this son that goes out, you know, squanders everything, gives a bad name for the family, doesn't deserve it. You know, the fact that the father, you know, the first picture, right, is the father is looking for the son. He's anticipating coming back. He's wanting him to come back. And then when he sees the son, that he leaves everything and runs, undignified, right? Runs to the son. And as the son is trying to see his father coming, and I can just picture the son going through his head, what am I going to say, what am I going to say, what, what are my excuses, how am I going to convince him that I just want to sleep in the bunkhouse with the servants, and, and what am I going to do, what am I going to do? The father just comes up, and instead of putting hands on his hips, and instead of saying, what are you doing here? Have you learned your lesson? Yada, yada, yada. He hugs him. And he says, we're, we're throwing a party. You know, you're back. I love the fact that the baptism of Jesus Christ, that as he comes to be our savior, to be the savior of the world, and he gives himself to the humble act of being baptized. And as he comes up, right, the father says, hey, this is my son. <laughs> I am so pleased with him. He is so incredible. And this was before Jesus did any public ministry, right? Jesus didn't do anything at this point. And so these images that God gives us of wanting to secure our identity, wanting to, to know that we have worth and value. Uh, later this week, I'm going to have the privilege of being a part of a sting operation where um, the, uh, the Roseville police, it's just going to be a couple miles from here, are going to set up a situation of trying to lure in women um, that are advertising for prostitution. And their goal is not to arrest the women. Their goal is to try to help free women, try to rescue women. And after the women come in, and the last time we did this was during the final four, uh, they'll, they'll have the women come in, and then uh, they've already had a lot of interchanges through uh, texting or, or the internet, so they, they, they already got the evidence. Um, they have enough to arrest them um, right there. So, but once they're in, they'll question them. Um, part of it is, is uh, they wanna make sure if, if there's, um, anything dangerous, that if they have any weapons on them and, and different things like that, or, or if there's a pimp close by. Um, they arrested one pimp in this scenario. But then after that, um, they'll escort them into a room where myself and um, two, three female advocates from our team will be. And um, they'll tell them, you're not gonna be arrested. We'd like to talk to you, have you talked to this individual, because these individuals help um, women that are in need and women that are exploited. And we get the opportunity to sit across the table from them and speak worth and value into their life. And for some of them, I know they've never had anybody speak worth and value into their life. We get the opportunity to tell them that, that there's people 
that include us that would like to help them. And for some of them, it's very confusing. That doesn't make any sense. Why? Because they've never had anybody in their life with that offer or offer to do anything for them without something in return. And we don't only get to do that, we, we tell them we have helped individuals out and that they're, we, you know, part of it is we're speaking vision and hope into someone's life. We've never had that before. But we also get to say that they have worth and value directly, that God loves them, that God does not scorn them, that he desires a redeemed life for them, and life can be different. And after there's dialogue, a lot of times we'll have a survivor with us that's a believer that will share a bit of her story. Um, sometimes um, a majority of the women are single moms, so they'll, we'll also have a survivor with us that's a single mom and talk about just how hard the lifestyle was on her children. And then we get to pray with them. And we get to pray a similar thing that we just spoke of, that God and the Holy Spirit would come upon them and let them know that they have worth and value. Let them know that God doesn't scorn them. And it is an honor to do, um, to know that for most of these women, if anybody said that in their life, it hasn't been reinforced. But, but to speak that out, and that's the beginning for us as we start relationships with women, and, and it's, a, it's a long process. But that simple interaction, um, th that's, you know, similar conversations, not just with women in trafficking, but also with young men, young women that are, have been raised in um, really tough situations, that have been raised in homes that where they don't belong, where they're told that they don't belong. When uh, the early 90s, I was overseas, as I mentioned earlier, and I was trying to figure out what to do next. And I was pretty sure God wanted me, and this was like 92, 93, when the wall was coming down in Europe, I was pretty sure that God wanted me to go over and be a missionary in the Eastern Bloc, because I was hearing of all the need that was there. And I had just kind of got the mission bug. And through some time of prayer, I just felt that the Holy Spirit really come upon me in, in a very supernatural way. And as we're reading Acts 1-8, talking about going to the uttermost parts of the world, the beginning of that, talked about go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. But he just really, Jerusalem jumped out of the page. And so for me, coming back to Jerusalem, coming back to Minneapolis, which was like the most unattractive place that I wanted to go, <laughs> I allowed my identity in be, being a radical foreign missionary. And so over my lifetime, as I've just looked at identity, you know, it's something that I've had to relearn again and again, from a child to a high schooler to, to being a college kid to getting married to having kids. You know, I used to say, I used to think I was a pretty good guy until I got married, and then I realized kind of how immature and, you know, selfish I was. Um, but as, as that process has gone on, it's been a continuing coming back of understanding who God says I am. It's also been even more significant, I believe, in having the people around me that have been mature believers understand that. When, uh, um, I got diagnosed with cancer. Um, 
it was it, it rocks your world and i just want to say too I, I know that there's people in this room that have lost loved ones um, maybe very recently and i just as i stand before you and just praise god for the fact that i'm still here and i'm still battling cancer it's it's not remission my cancer will never be in remission um still appreciate your prayers you know it, it's something that really the journey of it that I can just really share in a couple minutes here um, was something that, that took me to another place of just on my knees. Uh, a lot of times people will say, keep fighting. And, and part of me wish I could fight. You know, you know part of me is like, you know what, I, I'm, I, I'm sure there's lots of things I'm scared of, not to try to be too vain here, but there's not a lot of things I'm scared of. You know, the, the different things, and, and whether that's I'm an adrenaline junkie or whether my identity is focused on being radical, I'm sure there's a lot I still have to learn. But there, there's lots of different scenarios of confronting inter individuals in the inner city and being involved in the ministry that, that we've been involved in. And, you know, I've, I've heard bullets go by my head because they were so close. It's like, shoo, shoo. It's like that Saving Private Ryan introduction, that whistle, you know. Um, had situations where I've seen young people do just terrible things, um, you know, jumping into fires because they were on acid. But, but part of, you know, what, what uh, this journey has taken me to um, eventually just take me to a place of saying, God, I can't do this anymore. See, at the front end of it, I was very much, okay, this is just another hill. They say I can't accomplish this. They say I can't do it. You know? And there's times in my life where I was like, God, I'll do anything for you, and I believe God has led me to different things, and um, we've seen miraculous fruit in that. Sometimes my identity was intact, and some of my identity wasn't intact. And that's the grace of God. But as I journeyed with this, we came to a place where between uh, August and, and December of 2017, there's just, you know, just this series of getting tests and getting worse and getting some incredible prayer from people and having my faith be, be, be very strong. Someone wrote a book that was called Praying for a Miracle While Planning a Funeral. See, I have four young kids. And so a big piece of this journey was walking with them and telling them the realities that the doctor says before Christmas you might have to have a funeral for dad. And in the midst of that, I simply just came to a point and, uh, um, you know, basically in October I had a significant operation. I got to the end of October and a lot of October is recovering from that and the focus of that. At the end of that month, again, November, got a test, and that's when they just said, it's everywhere. It's growing like wildfire. Before that, there was a handful of tumors, but now they're like, you have 30 to 60 days. And I remember coming away from that and just saying to God, this is too much. I, I, I can't do this. And <clears throat> I felt like I did hear his small voice simply say, okay and that after that is that December as we were waiting I was about 70 pounds lighter than I am now um, 
we saw God just start slowly, you know, feeling better every week. And um, being able to get to a place of, of uh, seeing the tumors reduced. And throughout 2018, they reduced. And for about a year, I have one significant tumor in my liver that's just staying the same size. And, but this last year has been, has been uh, just to be able to stand here and talk has been very significant. And so I, I leave you with today just, I don't know, just giving you my story, you know, and just saying God is good and he's faithful. And also realize we, we deal with a lot of unchurched background kids, but probably half the kids that we deal with have been raised in the church, you know, have been raised in the youth groups that a lot of people here in this room have come from. And it's interesting, you know, I've, I've discipled hundreds of kids over the last 30 years, and the church kids will tell you what they did six months ago. The, the kids unchurched will tell you what happened over the weekend. <laughs> and it speaks to that chain grid that, that I have that, that a lot of times is there. And so I just want to end with a prayer and just uh, encourage this body um, that somehow we ask God to break through and just realize how much he wants us to be children and not about what we can do, even the good religious stuff that we can do and that we're not judged on that. So Holy Spirit, I, I ask that you'd come. Again, I thank you so much for this campus. I thank you so much for the student body. I thank you so much, God, that you want our identity to be and that we are children of yours that we are saints, that we are adopted. And Holy Spirit, I pray you'd break through any performance chain grids that, that say we have to do stuff for your love. I pray for the body of Christ to come around us. I pray for spiritual moms and dads to pour into us that would reflect your love and forgiveness. And Lord, may we be built up in that because there's a world around us of people who are hurting that don't know you that are the marginalized, that are the sick that Jesus said he came for, that need people to reflect your goodness, your faithfulness, and not in just a list of what to do or what not to do, but with your love and your forgiveness. Be with this school, be with this college, be with this week. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.